0: Easter is all about the risen Christ. We tend to focus on two things when we think about Jesus' resurrection. The first is the resurrection itself, the discovery of the empty tomb, the fact that Jesus could not be contained even by death. Jesus proves with finality that he is indeed God by leaving the tomb. The other thing we tend to think about is one of the primary things that Jesus did just after rising from the dead. Jesus appears before the apostles, minus Judas, and performs the Great Commission, whereby he tells them what they are to do next, and he promises to always be with them. Go thereforth and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. With that, the church was destined to grow from a small number of Jews who saw Jesus as their Messiah to a massive movement that would sweep across the entire known world. But there's a curious issue with this picture. We don't hear much about the activities of the apostles after Jesus delivers the Great Commission. We know from Acts that they do actively evangelize in the area in and around Jerusalem, and there's evidence in both the Bible and elsewhere that they ventured further than this. But we have very strong documentation from within the Bible that much of the development of the Christian church is due, not to the apostles, but to Paul, the great evangelist. He did indeed call himself an apostle, but he was not part of the great commission. It was through Paul that Jesus ensured that his teachings were spread far and wide after he rose from the dead. We're all familiar with the story of Paul on the road to Damascus, As Saul, he's headed for Damascus to capture followers of Christ and bring them back to Jerusalem for imprisonment or perhaps execution. Paul is struck blind and he hears the voice of the risen Jesus Christ. Jesus says to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Jesus tells a believer named Ananias, to go to Damascus and then lay hands on Saul, thereby healing him. Saul regains his vision and immediately has himself baptized. Most of us take this story as literal, as Jesus truly speaking to Saul. We know that thereafter, Saul is referred to as Paul. He becomes the great evangelist to the Gentiles. But it isn't stated anywhere in the Bible that he changes his name because of his conversion. In fact, Paul is simply the Greek version of his Hebrew name Saul. He may have started using the name Paul simply because it would be more familiar to non-Jews, i.e. Gentiles, since he would be evangelizing them. Here's something intriguing. Over the centuries, many have suggested that Jesus came to Saul in a metaphysical fashion, that Saul had a mental vision that was generated by the guilt he felt over tormenting the followers of Christ. Saul had been an extraordinarily zealous Pharisee. He prayed frequently, for long periods of time, and fervently. He was deeply spiritual and mystical. Some have suggested that Jesus spoke to him through the presence of the Holy Spirit, which was already acting within Saul to bring him closer to Jesus Christ. I'll get back to this distinction of just how Jesus appeared to Paul, whether it was literal or not. But certainly, Jesus did something very important after rising from the dead. Either literally or metaphysically, he spoke to Paul on the road to Damascus. It is Paul who became the evangelists to the Gentiles, to non-Jews, that is to most of us. There's no question that Paul's missionary efforts, the many churches he founded over a vast area, combined with the extraordinarily influential letters he wrote, is largely responsible for what the Christian church became in the centuries after the earthly life of Jesus. Appearing to Paul on the road to Damascus, is one of the most critical things that Jesus did after death, at least with respect to the life of the Christian church. Perhaps if Jesus had not decided to appear before Saul, I wouldn't be speaking to you today. Let's look carefully at this passage from Acts. Now as he approached Damascus, a light from heaven shone around him Falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Jesus is identifying himself with the church, which is in its very infancy. Since Paul had not yet started his evangelical efforts, Jesus' followers at this point are mostly Jews who do not see themselves as having converted to a new religion. They simply see Jesus as their long-awaited Jewish Messiah. They differ on how literally they think Jesus will establish a new kingdom. Will he destroy the Romans, or will he introduce a spiritual kingdom? Jesus tells Paul, that he is persecuting Jesus personally. For us today, since we live in a time when having faith is often mocked, we can appreciate the fact that Jesus identifies personally with those who are persecuted, that he sees himself as a victim of anti-religious bigotry. Let's look at the issue of just how Jesus appears to Paul. Is it literal, or is it Paul's guilty conscience, combined with God's act of grace within him, causing him to have a spiritual revelation? The letter from Paul to the Galatians is widely believed to be authentic. Paul did indeed write this letter. As some background, Galatia was in Asia Minor, now in Turkey. But Galatia was not a city, and so there's some debate about the identity of the recipients of this letter. Galatia was a district occupied in the 3rd century BC by Celtic tribes. These Celts were called Galatians by writers of the time. Galatia later became a Roman protectorate around 85 BC. It's believed, although it's not certain, that Paul did not write this letter to ethnic Galatians, but to people who lived in the southern part of this district, people who are often referred to as Galatians, even though they were not ethnic descendants of the true Celts. The purpose of the letter is clear. The Galatians are under brutal pressure from their surrounding society to drop their newfound faith. Paul who previously evangelized these people himself, is worried that the Galatians are being taught a perversion of the Christian faith, one that superficially emphasizes Jewish practices and not the truths taught by Jesus. Consider a passage from Galatians, and we'll look at it from two different translations. The first is the English Standard Version. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people, so extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. Paul is stating his qualifications as a teacher of the faith by telling the Galatians that Jesus spoke to him after Jesus' resurrection. Note that he says that God was pleased to reveal his Son to me. The second translation is the New International Version. It says that God was pleased to reveal his Son in me. Now, there's a subtle difference between the two translations. One says, in me, and one says, to me. Based on a debate over the correct way to translate this one word, people have wondered if Paul is saying that his experience was metaphysical, not literal. In truth, the original Greek says, in me, not to me. But Paul could easily have written it this way, to reinforce how personal the experience was for him, and not to say that Jesus' appearance was not literal. There's more, however. In 2 Corinthians, which we are also certain that Paul personally wrote, he says, I must go on boasting, though there is nothing to be gained by it, I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man of Christ who 14 years ago was caught up in the third heaven. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. In general, in this passage, Paul is making a point here about the dangers of becoming prideful by pointing out that he himself could easily fall into the trap of boasting about Christ appearing to him. Notice he talks about visions and revelations of Jesus and about being caught up in the third heaven, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. Paul is making a powerful point here. He seems to be saying that it was the spiritual, the mystical, the internal experience of, quote, seeing Jesus that mattered, and not that the visit was literal. Here's what I happen to think, for what it's worth. Paul is certainly claiming to have experienced Jesus on the road to Damascus. Paul's a man who has had a very powerful reaction to the knowledge that Jesus is truly the Son of God, the Messiah, the person who walked among us to give us all a path to joy here on earth and for all of eternity. Paul teaches forgiveness, empathy, and compassion. He knows that faith is meaningless if it doesn't change the way we see the world and the way we see each other. When we think about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we should think about the fundamental change that our faith has on who we are as people and how we treat other people. God appeared to Paul and God lived within Paul. The same can be true of each of us. Most likely, none of you have ever been struck blind on the freeway while flying along at 80 miles an hour and had to pull over only to have Jesus start talking to you. But I do hope that you feel God's presence nonetheless every day, that you know that the Holy Spirit is always within you, giving you the confidence to know that God is as present for you as God was for Paul. Here's something intriguing about Jesus' appearance to Paul. It occurred long after the resurrection, probably four or five years, possibly more, after Jesus rose from the dead and left the tomb. Jesus didn't just come to earth, grow to an adult, live a short adulthood, founding a spiritual kingdom, get crucified, rise from the dead, and check in quickly with a few people like the apostles to get them started in the right direction, and then go away forever. Jesus, our God, remained and remains very active. The risen God does live among us, does visit us, and does come to us when we find ourselves confronting loss, pain, sickness, fear, or death. I'd like to read a couple verses from the third chapter of Ephesians. It's in the middle of what is widely considered to be one of the most beautiful passages in the Bible. This part of Ephesians talks about the incredible gift of having the Holy Spirit within us every day of our lives and how enlivened we are by God's love and the joy that we feel when we embrace the presence of God. Here it is. Christ dwells in your hearts through faith, and I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. So Christ dwells in our hearts through our faith. Remember that Christ didn't rise from the dead and then go on a 2,000-year cruise through the South Pacific. Whatever is going on in your life right now that's making you anxious or causing you to suffer, remember that our God remains here among us. All you need is faith. Open your heart and then let Jesus appear before you. You won't see him. You won't hear his physical voice. The man Jesus, during his three years of active ministry, never left a tiny area surrounding Jerusalem. He did all his traveling on foot. But the Christ is risen now. Jesus Christ is free He's free to travel everywhere and everywhere at once. We can all experience Christ just as Paul did. Let Jesus Christ give you comfort, teach you how to love all people, treat all people with dignity, forgive all those who've done you wrong, and free you from whatever keeps you from living in joy. Amen.